All right. Y'all ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. Can you guys welcome Ruth as she comes at this time? Hold on. That's it. All right. If you got your Bibles, we are going to be in Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 10 and ending at verse 13. Been in Romans for two years. You ought to know where that is. If not, Lord help you. Hopefully you charged the Bibles last night. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold up. All right, we're going to give you two seconds. One, two. All right, Ruth, you ready? Yes. All right, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Uh, the word of God says... For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And in Spanish... Romanos 10, del 10 al 13. Porque con el corazón se cree para justicia, pero con la boca se confiesa para salvación. Pues la Escritura dice, todo aquel que en él creyere no será avergonzado, porque no hay diferencia entre judío y griego, pues el mismo que es Señor de todos es rico para con todos los que le invocan, porque todo aquel que invocar el nombre del Señor será salvo. Amen. Amen. That's God's holy, infallible word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and the privilege and opportunity we get to sit under the authority of your word. We pray, God, that we will not just be informed, but that we will be transformed, that we will not just be listeners of the word, but we will be doers of the word. Father, we want the full impact and full effect of your word to uh, change our lives. And we pray that you would use the preaching and the teaching of your word to accomplish that end, to make us look like Jesus. And we ask that you would do this according to your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say it. Coca-Cola Company is working on a vending machine that automatically increases the price of soft drinks when the temperature rises. Coke chairman Doug Iverster told the Brazilian magazine the machine was designed to reconcile supply and demand by raising the price when the demand increased. Coca-Cola is a product whose utilities vary from moment to moment. He said, the machine has been tested in Japan and the company is still evaluating the technology. In order for Coke, to meet the demands of all it must, it must increase its prices. Coke cannot offer free pop simply because it can't afford to, let alone to everyone. Instead, the more that it is demanded, the higher it becomes. That is the way pricing works in the world. In the kingdom of God, we can be thankful God uses his, his, his economy is totally different. He uses a completely different approach. Although man's sin increases and more grace is needed, the price to be saved remains the same free. Our need for salvation is unlimited. God's offer, God offers salvation free of charge to everyone. And this is Paul's argument. Our greatest need is salvation, and God is able to supply it free of charge. I'm already preaching better than you're talking to me, but that's all right. I'll encourage myself. Go ahead and preach, Dexter Harris. It gets better. Not only is it free, but no matter how many people come wanting salvation, unlike the Coke supply, the price remains the same free of charge. Uh, that didn't get you. I don't know what will because you can't afford salvation. You can't pay for it. And, and the demand is deep. And it's all over the world. And yet God ain't raising the price. 
It still remains free. The offer is to any and everybody. So what Paul wants us to see today, salvation is available to all free of charge. One of the few things in this life that really lifts a man's spirit is hearing good news. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark place. I don't know if you've ever been in a lonely place, but it's nothing like being in those kind of places and someone delivering good news to your doorstep. Man, pay attention to good news in business, in pleasure, in in, in social ambition, in physical health. Good news, however, friends, beckons a response from his hearers. Good news beckons a response from its hearers. Black Friday in a few months will testify to this truth. People will stand outside all night in response to some good news. They're called doorbusters. I, I wish they'd line up a church like that. Oh, I do. I think every pastor just hopes that people will line up for the good news of the gospel. But people will line up for those doorbusters. That 75-inch TV you always wanted is $200. Some of y'all ain't never shouted so loud, boy. Even church. Can't get you to shout as loud as a 75-inch. Pastor, I got to be able to see my church TV stations clear, baby. God wants me to see it in HD. I feel like I'm in heaven. So Paul wants us to understand today in these first few verses how a person comes to receive the gospel. It is not enough to hear good news if you can't embrace good news. Paul wants us to embrace the gospel and to be justified by God. We are justified by God by receiving the gospel. I mean, that is the question, right? That sounds good that the TV is 70, the 75 inch TV is $200. But the question becomes, how do I take hold of that 75 inch TV? How do I take hold of that offer? I want to tag this text in our exchange today, an offer you don't want to refuse, an offer you don't want to refuse. I want to fix the sermonic spotlight on three key points, the heart, the mouth, and the promise. The heart, the mouth, and the promise. We meet Paul in verse 10, and we start with the heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But with the heart one believes in is justified. For with the heart one believes in is justified. If you've been with us these last few weeks, you know that Paul has argued under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the means by which a man is justified and made right with God, that is, charges dropped, record cleared, is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by believing he is Lord and God raised him from the dead that we are justified. Paul is clear in this verse. One does not have to go far to find salvation. One does not have to travel the world. One does not have to find his Egyptian roots. And I know some of us are trying to find our Egyptian roots and there's nothing wrong with that. But salvation is not in that. Instead, salvation is so close, it's right there in the middle of your chest. One must simply believe in his heart. What's so special about the heart? Well, the ancients saw the heart as the center of all thoughts, the house of the wheel, the deepest and most sacred part of a man. Paul is saying, That to be saved, a person must place his absolute lean in on this church, trust in the finished work of Christ. What work? Remember earlier in the chapter, he mentioned the resurrection. However, a resurrection presupposes a death. So Paul wants lost men and women to know that if they will be saved, they must believe in the completed work of Jesus Christ with all of their being. This is Paul's doorbuster. God is handing out eternal life. But you don't have to leave your house or wait in line to take hold of it. 
Instead, you grab it with your heart. Friends, you can't be saved without believing with your heart. You cannot be saved without believing with your heart. If God ain't got your heart, you ain't got salvation. I'm going to say it again. I like the way it sounds. I'm going to play it back for you. If God ain't got your heart, you ain't got salvation. It's just that plain and it's just that simple. Before we embrace Christ with our arms, we must embrace him with our hearts. There's a lot of people hugging Jesus that don't love Jesus. There's a lot of people hugging Jesus that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people hugging on to the church, but they don't know Jesus. Yeah, I know it's true that people can, uh, can hug you and not like you. Oh, y'all in church, y'all, y'all act like y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, there's a few people that almost made you lose your religion because they didn't hug you and didn't love you. Yeah, 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 people that do that. They smile in your face all the time. They want to take your place. I knew y'all knew the song. I knew y'all ain't just listening to 90.1 or 102.3. Come on now. What do we call people who embrace Jesus with their arms and not with their hearts? We call them hypocrites. If you give Jesus your body and not your heart, you're not saved. This is how you get people that will lift their hands in church but will not lift a finger to help their brother or sister. This is why you get people that back, uh, back in slavery that would lift their Bibles and then lift their hands to whip black and brown brothers and sisters because there's a way that you can say that you love Jesus and in your actions deny him. This is why people enjoy religion and not the gospel. Because the gospel requires your heart. The gospel requires a relationship. Religion is just about performance and no relationship. You can be religious and never transform. You can come to church and never transform. Religion is easy. Because I can, can, I can claim salvation while never surrendering to Jesus Christ. Religion is easy because I can say with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, but my bank account denies him. Religion is easy. Oh, it's easy, friends. It's easy to get into church and not get into God. It's possible to go through the mechanics of Christianity and never have a real heart beating, vibrant relationship with God. But I don't know about you. I didn't come out of my bed to play church. I need to know him. I need to feel him. And I need to know that he's living and moving in this soul. I can't speak for your soul. I can't say anything about your soul. I'm just going to speak for myself. I don't want religion. Religion is cold and dry. I want a God that can move, that can transform, that can make me different and can make me new. I want to fall in love with Jesus. Some of y'all not with me, yeah? Religion allows you to have Jesus as a side chick. While remaining committed to the world. Okay, now I'm hitting home. Now I figured I needed to bring your terminology. I see uh, Jesus could be a side chick while you remain committed to the world. But you say he gets me on the weekends. Oh, y'all know the song. Y'all gonna act like y'all don't know the song. I give him Saturday and Sunday. What else he want from me? I'm faithful on the weekends. When I go to church, I, Jesus got all of me. I just ask when I get to the parking lot, he stay in the building. That's all. What's wrong with that? I told him I ain't ready for no relationship. Oh, Jesus, it's not you. It's just me. I still want the benefits, though. But I ain't trying to rock with you like that. Because if my real girl see me with you, she may break up and leave me. So I got to keep you in the cut. 
Because the moment I expose you, it's going to cause some issues in my household, and I can't have that because you want to take over. And I told you before we started this relationship that you get the weekends, and now you want the whole week, and I can't have it. That's religion. Jesus ain't never been nobody's side chick. No, 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 Jesus. Jesus ain't coming for just the weekends. When Jesus comes, he's coming for the whole thing. And sometimes the person don't know when they got a good thing. So they keep messing with the wrong thing. And mess around and lose a good thing. Oh, I'm trying to preach to y'all. I'm trying to bring it to your doorstep. You got to realize in Jesus, you got a good thing. You need to quit messing around with the wrong thing and step on over and just give them your whole heart. Because when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, you'll never be the same again. He'll wash you of all of your sins. He'll cleanse you of all of your unworthiness. I wish I had some people in here that stopped using Jesus as a side chick. And you went on and got married to him. And ever since you've been married to him, he's been doing you right. We got to be like the tin man. We got to desire a heart. We want to be able to embrace the Savior with our entire being. I don't want to just embrace him with a little bit of me. I want to be able to embrace him with all of me. I got to sound like the tin man. God, I need a heart. I need something that'll love you back. As I travel down this yellow brick road called life, I need something that beats for you. God promises that those who come to him, he'll give you a heart. Says it in Ezekiel, I'll take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. It calls you to walk in my ways. Friends, to be a Christian means you have to trade in your rubbish of self-righteousness for the perfect righteousness of Christ. You have to cease striving to save yourself and rest in the finished work of Christ. No longer depending on your accomplishments, your religious pedigrees, or good works for God's approval, but only what Christ has accomplished for you. In other words, Paul is saying God can only save those who stop trying to save themselves. Oh, you didn't catch it. You missed your shout. There it was. God can only save those who stop trying to save themselves. Imagine a person whose house is on fire. The fire is raging out of control, and soon a fire truck pulls up, sirens blazing, and the firefighter runs in to rescue the person who's stuck in the fire, and they say, how dare you come to my house and think that I can't handle this fire myself? Firefighters are for weak people, not for me. What would you think of someone like that? You out your rabbit mind. This person has a false perception of themselves. In reality, many people remain in the flame simply because they refuse to believe in the Savior because they believe they can save themselves. Salvation is a matter of the heart before anything else. We know that the fire department are there for those who need saving. There is a power that exists, that, that, that exists for those who need it. That power exists because we can't deal with the problem ourselves, the fire. And we admire firefighters because they are people who have committed themselves to take on the power of fire at a personal expense. We realize we can't save ourselves. So we put our faith in another. Belief with the heart is simply turning away from self and embracing the firefighter. You don't say, give me an oxygen mask and I'll take it from here. No, you embrace the firefighter with all that is within you because you know your only hope of getting out of the flame is taking hold of the firefighter. And what I'm trying to tell you is that your only way of getting out of hell is embracing Jesus, who's the firefighter. But you must embrace the firefighter with your heart first and then your arms comes next and then the firefighter carries you out of the flame. That is what Jesus 
has done for every person in this room. He went into the fire and got you. Since I'm here, I might as well park my car. I'm tired of people saying that they found Jesus. Jesus was never lost. I wish you would stop saying that. That's bad theology. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus came in the fire and got you. You embrace the firefighter with your heart first, then your arms, then he carries you from the flames. By the heart, one believes in the firefighter, and all those who believe in the firefighter will be saved from the fire. Christians are weak in the same sense that a person stuck in a fire, they need rescuing. There are people who acknowledge that a power exists that they cannot confront and live, and that is the holiness of God. This, however, is not the cause of shame because there was a man, Jesus, who dealt with the power at his own personal expense on the cross. When someone is rescued from the flames, they're not thinking about their weaknesses. They're overjoyed that someone exists that can save them. You ain't never been saved from danger before. You ain't thinking about what you got on. You ain't thinking about how cute your hair is. You ain't thinking about how cute your nails are. When all hell is breaking loose, all you're trying to do is get saved. I don't, y'all ain't never turned on the news and people be they didn't got saved from the fire. They be looking wretched, but they don't care. I ran for my life. Grab me a cold pop, and I ran for my life. You think she was caring about how she looked? No. She wanted to get out of the fire. What usually happens next after such a great rescue? What happens when we make it out of the fire? What happens when we make it out of the flames? What, what happens on the other side? We usually brag about the person who rescued us. I mean, it's just quite natural. No one who got rescued from the flames is bragging about how dope they are. No, 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 no. They're bragging about the firefighter who came in and got them. And the reason why some of us don't shout loud enough, because we think that we saved ourselves from the fire. But when you realize that Jesus Christ stepped into the flames, you'll lift up your mouth. Oh, you sit there and look cute if you want to, but let the rest of us go there for a moment. That he rescued us from the flames and he rescued us from the fire and we can't help but give him glory. We can't help but shout his name. We can't help but proclaim his praise and his infinite worth because he came and got me when nobody else would come and get me. And not just anybody is coming into the fire to get you. You gotta have some real love to put your life on the line for people who don't care about you. Y'all not with me. If your enemy who can't stand you, who been giving you a hard time at work, who's been backbiting and backstabbing, is stuck in the flames, you ain't going in there for that joker. You'll let him burn. Jesus should have let you burn, but he didn't do that. Instead, he left glory. He came all the way down into time, 42 generations. He walked on water, turned water into wine, got out of the grave just to save your no good tale from the flame. And you barely want to worship him. You barely want to praise him. You barely want to stand on your feet, but yet he died for you. I don't get it. I don't get it. They look at us crazy. But I seen them yesterday at the game. Wasn't nobody saying nothing. Because the praise was fitting for the occasion. Don't nobody say nothing when somebody scores a touchdown and everybody gets out of their body because the praise is fitting 
for the occasion. <laughs> and so when you've been saved from your sins, when, you, when God raised you from the dead, your praise is fitting for the occasion. <laughs> so if they look at you crazy, let them look at you crazy because they're the ones out of their rabbit minds because they don't understand what's taking place right now. I knew this, I knew this, because sometimes, you know, when people walk in after the thing has already happened and they don't know what's going on, they walk in the room and they say, well, everybody's rejoicing about because the news hasn't caught up to them yet. But what you expect when you deliver the news to them, you expect them to join on in in the praise. So let me help some of y'all out. The Bible says that Jesus came and Jesus died. And not only that, that the earth started shaking. The centurion soldier says, this must be the son of God. We must have made a mistake. And the sun hid behind a midday sky. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of the father. And we preach it every week. And we love it so much every time we hear it. We can't help but praise. We can't help but praise because there's no better victory. There's no better thing to rejoice over. So excuse us. I know. I'm staying here for a moment because we ought to worship. We ought to give them praise. We ought to give them glory. We ought to shout in this place. Come on, let me keep teaching. Let me give you some more wood for your flame. The heart, the mouth, this is what I'm saying. Look at the verse. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confess and is saved. What are you saying, Paul? The heart has a way of controlling what comes out of the mouth. And the mouth has a way of revealing what's in the heart. Basketball fans talk about basketball. Football fans talk about football. Because football is in the heart. And so it can't help but make its way out of the mouth. Y'all still not with me? People who like alcohol... Talk about Hennessy, Ciroc, Coke and Crown. Oh, y'all act like y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all been saved all y'all life. Tito's for you gluten-free people. <laughs> Pastor, how you know all this? I've just been talking to folks, that's all. In fact, if you have truly believed on Jesus as Lord with your heart, you will not be able but you can't help yourself but to talk about him. Christians talk about Christ. Being an in the closet Christian is impossible. Y'all be sitting there. Everybody got their hands lifted up. That one brother, he too cool. I worship God in my heart. Don't lift my hands, dog. Now, I just want to say, if you, don't have to, you don't have to lift your hands to worship him. I'm just picking up. I'm just messing around. <laughs> Friends, sooner or later, you, would, you will reveal with your mouth what is in your heart. This verse tells us that there are no secret believers in Christ. In this verse, when Paul says confess with your mouth in that day and age, it would, what, he, what he's getting at is that, is that your faith goes public. That, 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 that at some point, your co-workers go know. That you're a Christian. At some point, your enemies are going to know that you're a Christian. And I'm not saying you got to buy every shirt and put on 20 million crosses. And some of y'all already thinking about going to get stickers and putting it all over your car. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. You touch your life up with Jesus and that's enough. 
Here it is. I brought some examples because faith sometimes is slowly working. Everybody that comes to church for the first time may not walk out a believer. Uh, they may just be on the fringes right now. They, they just may be a little skeptical. They, they're checking this Jesus thing out. I brought a witness. Come here, Nicodemus. Help me preach to God's people this morning. Y'all remember Nico, right? John chapter 3, Nico. I love Nico. His name is Nicodemus. I'm going to give him a short name. I call him Nico. I love my boy Nico because Nico comes to Jesus at nighttime. Oh, you're not slick, Nicodemus. We know why you're coming to Jesus at nighttime because you're a Pharisee and Pharisees and Jesus, they didn't get along. They weren't really vibing with one another because everybody was flocking to Jesus and they wasn't feeling the Pharisees. But Nicodemus is a Pharisee who's been coming to church. He's been watching Jesus miracles, but he's not sure whether he believes in Jesus or not. So he comes at nighttime so he doesn't lose his job, so he doesn't lose his friends, so that he doesn't lose his network. That's what we do. Sometimes when we're trying to check out Jesus, we come in nighttime because we don't want anybody to know that we're starting to feel him a little bit. And so he says, Jesus, we know that you are a man that comes from God because you couldn't be doing the things that you're doing. And so he admits that there's something different about Jesus Christ. But in this moment, what Nicodemus does not recognize is that the miracles that he's witnessing with his eyes is not enough to get saved. Just because you say Jesus is a healer doesn't mean that you're saved because you need the miracle working Jesus to work a miracle inside of you. And that miracle is salvation. And so here's Nicodemus. He comes at nighttime. But if you trace what he does when you get to John chapter seven, Nicodemus faith comes a little bit more out of the closet. And so check it out. Here it is. They trying to kill Jesus now. It's easy to follow Jesus when there ain't no persecution. Everybody's claiming Jesus when there ain't no danger around. Oh, it's easy to follow Jesus when things are going well. It's easy to follow Jesus when you got food on your table. It's easy to follow Jesus when your children are following him. But what happens when trouble comes knocking at the door? Is Jesus still sweeter than the day before? Here's Nicodemus, and he stands up. The Pharisees are trying to kill him. And he says, should we judge this man before it's time? Nicodemus is doing what in that moment? He's not directly proclaiming Christ. But he's indirectly proclaiming Christ. Y'all know y'all do it at your job all the time. You don't come out right and say that you uh, are a Christian, but if somebody say something about the Bible, you'll say, can we condemn the Bible without reading it first? We want to be sly with our faith. But as I said, at some point, what's in your heart eventually is going to go public. Whether you're a hypocrite or a saint, at some point, it's going to go public. By the time we get to the end of John chapter 7, the Nicodemus who came to Jesus at nighttime is now the Nicodemus that proclaims his faith in the daytime. Most of the theologian says that by, at the, by, by, by the time we hear about Nicodemus, at the end of John, Nicodemus is converted because not only does he help take his body off of the cross, but he actually takes money and pays for his burial. You know, there's something that when you believe this gospel, when you believe that he rose from the dead, you got to be up close to the gospel. I want to hold it close. I want to see him for myself. Nicodemus' faith went public. Y'all not feeling it yet? He's a Pharisee. For him to do that is to put his life on the line. 
for him to do that is to become an exile and an outcast. Y'all not with me yet, friends? Sometimes to believe Jesus means that you may lose some friends, may that you may lose a job. I know y'all are used to this American cute Christianity that if you believe in Jesus, he's going to give you a BMW and, and enlarge your, your, the, the square footage of your home. But there's a Bible that you can actually read and see that everybody who comes to Jesus don't always increase. Increase in their faith. Increase in persecution. And I'm not saying you can't have nice things and God doesn't like to bless us and all of that. But what I am saying is that Jesus will call you to leave some things in order for you to cling to him. Because when he snatches you out of the fire, he doesn't always save all of your material possessions. Sometimes he'll let those burn, but you'll leave with your soul. And that's the good thing. I don't care about cars and clothes as long as I leave with my soul. There's another lady in the book of John. Her name or her title, Chris got a song about her. They call her Woman at the Well. Y'all remember the woman at the well. Here it is. She's on her way to get some water and to bring it back to her village. She's chilling and minding her own business. And here comes Jesus. God to show up when you least expect it. God to show up in your front room when you least expect it. And here it is. She's getting water. And the person who has the living water shows up at the well. And what does he say to her? Give me a drink. All right, I need y'all to get out y'all holy minds real fast. Because she's looking at Jesus like the Savior trying to holler at her or whatever. And she like, how you going to get some water and you ain't even got no bucket, dude? That's, how, that, that, that's just how I read it in my head. And Jesus like, listen, listen, listen. First of all, if you knew who I was, look how sway Jesus is. He like, now check it out. Let, let me tell you something. If you knew who was talking to you, you will actually ask me for living water. Some of y'all think Jesus wants your talent and your money. He don't need none of that. If you knew who he was, you'll be asking him for living water. Oh, here it is. He, he's talking to her and, and they get into this conversation or whatever. And Jesus says, go get your husband. Uh-oh, Jesus in her Kool-Aid getting ready to call out her flavor. Watch it. Here it is. She says, I ain't got no boo. You right. You ain't got no boo. And the person that you with, you ain't married to either. And I love her response. Oh, I love her response because here it is. Here it is. I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> oh, when God is in your business, all you can say is, uh, yeah, how you know that? How you know that? How, 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 <laughs> woo! I ain't put it on Facebook. I ain't told nobody. I've been keeping it in the Woo, God, how you know? I, I, <laughs> God will hop in your Kool-Aid and call out your flavor. And she says, oh, snap. <laughs> I'm busted. You're a prophet. But just to say that he's a prophet is not enough. Her faith hasn't risen. It hasn't got there yet. She's getting closer, but she's not there yet. There's a lot of people that believe that he's a prophet. That's why in the other Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples, there's a lot of talk going around about who I am. But I want to know, who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter what everybody else says. What do you say at the end of the day? Don't care what your mama said. Don't care what your daddy said. Don't care what your co-worker said. God one day is going to ask you, what do you say? And here it is. Jesus, go ahead and spill Feels her business and, and, and what does she do? She slide on over to worship. That's what you do. Some people like to hide and worship. And so here it is. Jesus still is calling out her flavor. And Jesus starts talking about worship and they get into all of this. And Jesus finally just gives it to her straight. Because she says, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us everything we need to know. Watch Jesus. Here it is. Hold on to your seatbelt. Jesus so smooth, so sway. Says, I who I'm talking to you is he. That's the way I read it. I don't know how you read yours. That's how I read mine. And all of a sudden, it dawns on her that this is the Messiah. 
Now watch it. I said all that to say this. It starts in the heart. By the time Jesus was done, the whole town of Samaria knew who he was because he opened up her mouth and proclaimed that I met a man that told me everything about myself. And I believe that he's the Messiah. But Jesus just didn't need her to do it. He went on over to Samaria himself. And you know Jews don't rock with Samaritans. And Jesus crossed those cultural bounds. Because it doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're Latino. The gospel crosses all of those barriers when we preach the unadulterated gospel. Jesus is coming. And so he goes over there and he starts to speak himself. And by the time he's done, they say, we don't believe in you just because she said so. We heard you for ourselves. And now we believe him. I wish I had some people that had people come witness to you. But when you heard the gospel for yourself, you decided that I don't believe in Jesus just because you told me I see him myself in my heart. And because I see him in my heart, I'm going to proclaim him with my mouth. That which is in your heart that's coming out of your mouth. It ain't enough just to believe in your heart. But you got to confess it with your mouth. Friends, this is more than just a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. Many people all over the world are praying the sinner's prayer, but nothing changes about them. Well-intentioned pastors giving them words to say, then reassuring them of salvation. But just because you acknowledge the fighter, firefighter to be a firefighter will not save you from the flames. You see, in order to be saved by the firefighter, at some point, not only do you have to acknowledge that he's a savior, you got to take hold of him. It's like the little girl who was stuck up on the roller coaster and the firefighter came to get her down. But she had to jump into his arms. And she did. And when she got to the bottom... Her family and friends asked her, how did you get the courage to jump into the firefighter arms? She said, where else could I go? <laughs> this is Peter's response. After all those people had deserted Jesus, and Jesus said, do you want to go? And Peter says, here it is. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You ain't came to believe in Jesus until you know without a doubt in your soul, without a doubt in your mind, that I ain't got nowhere else to go. I tried everybody and it didn't work out for me. I tried other saviors and they couldn't save me. But now that I found Jesus, I can't go nowhere else because can't nobody do me like Jesus has done me. I cannot leave him. Friends, that's real faith. Real faith clings to him. Real faith can't leave him. When you really believe, when you really get it, I wish I had an analogy to help you, but all I can say is when you find him, you'll know that you found him because you won't be able to go nowhere else. You say, who else can save my soul? Who else has died for me? Who else has the words of eternal life? You see, Peter got personal. And what I'm asking you this morning is to take this thing personal, to go past religion, to go past the name of Bethel Church. This is not about Bethel Church, but to get personal. Is Jesus Lord because the Bible tells you to say it? Or is he Lord because you believe it? Is his words like life to you, sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb? Oh, that's the way the Old Testament puts it. They were looking for words. They, some, some of them called them a strong tower of refuge. Oh, when you get it, it starts to get personal. Some of you start making up names. You call them tear catcher. He caught your tears in the middle of the night. Yeah, you start making up names. Wonder maker. I mean, you just, you just started making up names. My bright and morning star. How do you think they came up with that? They've been communing with the Savior. They've been spending time with him. They're at home with him. They know him. 
That's what happens in your home. Those who are part of the family, you start making up names for them. Honey Boo Boo. Buddha. Sugar Biscuit Iced Tea. <laughs> People on the outside be looking at you crazy. Why you call them that? But in the family, it's a name of love. That's why they call them the bright and morning star, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the branch of Jesse. They just start making up names for him. The, the rose of Sharon, the burden bearer, the heavy load Sarah. When you really know him, you'll find your own name for him. Well, maybe he ain't done nothing for you. So you get to sit there. God is not calling you to just embrace him with your mouth or to just embrace him with your heart. He's saying that you got to embrace him with both. Those who embrace him with their heart and with their mouth, he gives them a promise. And this is my last point. And I'm going home and God bless y'all real good. <laughs> Verse 11 through 13 is the promise. Here it is. When we come to faith the right way, God's way, we are given some precious promises. Notice what they are. But the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I thought you would have shouted right there, but let me go ahead and teach it. I'm going to take this one at a time. In verse, verse 11, he promised us assurance. We are reminded here that when we trust Jesus according to God's plan, we will never be disappointed. We will never hear him tell us, I'm sorry, but I can't save you. No, no, no. No one who trusts in Jesus for their soul salvation needs to ever fear losing it or being ashamed when they face him in the next life. God assures us that if we come to Jesus, that he will save us. I love it the way Allstate puts it. You know how that Allstate say when you get in trouble, you're going to need some insurance. And so what does he say with the sexy voice? He'd be like, Allstate stand. Are you in good hands? And that's what Paul is saying. Christ stands, but are you in good hands? Have you trusted him with your life? Have you trusted him with your soul? And he assures you that you will not be put to shame. Here's the second promise. He promises that he'll accept us. This verse tells us the precious truth that God does not play favorites. Anyone, anyone who hears his call and responds in faith will be accepted. Now, there's a lot of places you got to be nervous whether they'll accept you or not. You don't know if they'll accept you because of your skin color. You don't know if they'll accept you because of your economic status. But when it comes to the gospel, everybody in their mama can be saved. God doesn't choose. God doesn't show favoritism. This verse says if you believe in your heart and confess, it don't matter what your background is. It don't matter what you did. It don't matter where you came from. It don't matter the clothes you're wearing. It don't matter what you're hung up on. God says that if you open up your mouth, that I'll save save you and I'll accept you. Oh, there's a love out there, church, that will accept you for who you are. I'm so glad church is a hospital and not an interview. You know, when you go to an interview, you got to get all dressed up and you got to put your best foot forward. But when you go to the hospital, you ain't even got a fake. Everybody in that joke is sick and everybody's there because they're trying to get a healing. And what God says, when you come to my hospital, I'll deny no patient. Everybody gets a healing when they come to me. Amen. Last promise. In verse 13. He promised us an official pardon. This is what makes me shout right here. Here's the promise. We are reminded that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This word means to be rescued from all harm and danger. Are you with me this morning? 
What God is promising in this verse is all those who, can, who call on the name of the Lord will be saved from all harm and all danger. What danger? The wrath of God that is coming on this wicked world. This is what God is promising you. Hold your shout because it gets good. What he's promising you is a full pardon that he's going to expunge your entire record. Y'all not with me yet. I brought a witness. Come here, Bill Clinton. Y'all don't, don't remember Bill Clinton, the president, Bill Clinton. Before he left the office, he did something for his brother. And what he did for his brother who got into a lot of drug trouble is that he went and he expunged his record. His brother got into some trouble later on. The cops tried to look up his record but they couldn't find nothing because his big brother and the higher power had expunged his record. They went looking for it but they couldn't find it. And what Paul is saying is that God has expunged your record. They're going to go looking for it but they ain't going to be able to find it because your brother in the higher place has wiped it out. And that's what he's promising you an expunged record and a a full pardon and you can sit there like you don't need your record expunged but you know you got some things in your file that you don't want nobody to ever see some of you got abortions you don't want nobody to see some of you got adultery you don't want nobody to see you didn't did some slum low down dirty stuff that you don't want nobody to see and God says I'll do you one better I'll take it away so that when Satan go looking for it he'll say I saw that they did it and and it's not that you didn't do it it's that that they can't find it by the time Jesus gets done they won't be able to find your record because when he clears your name he clears your name anybody in the room needs your name cleared you got some stuff people been holding over you they've been talking about you and Jesus says that I'll clear your name oh I love it that he'll clear your name woman at the well five husbands they not gonna know by the time that I get done woman caught in adultery I'll clear your name Nicodemus I'll clear your name Joshua I'll clear your name Moses I'll clear your name and not only will I clear your name I'll give you a new name. I'll call you righteous. They'll call you saint. They'll call you sons and daughters of the Most High God. Anybody want a new name in an expunged record? All you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the promise is yours. Oh, yes, it is. And it's for everybody. Okay, okay, okay. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. I hear you. But, but, but Pastor, is there enough grace for me? I hear you, but you don't know me. You ain't seen some of the stuff I've done. You ain't seen some of the stuff I've been through. You sure God got enough grace left for me? Coca-Cola raised its price. But God can meet the demand. And you ain't got to reach into your pocket. You ain't got to climb mountains. You ain't got to cross rivers. God doesn't need your help. All you got to do is stop trusting yourself and start trusting him. Because he has reached down into his own pockets and paid the price for your coke on his own. <laughs> 